This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 30 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. The recent Equifax breach highlighted the vulnerability of our personal data online and served as a reminder that there's an active, thriving global criminal market for that sort of information. In this episode of the Recorded Future podcast, we return to the dark web with Recorded Future's Director of Advanced Collection, Andrei Borisovich, as our guide. He'll separate fact from fiction and help us gain a better understanding of the mysterious and increasingly volatile world of the online criminal underground. Stay with us. I'd, I'd like to highlight that uh, the term dark web and deep web is somewhat artificial uh, name. If we go back, let's say, five years ago, that the term didn't exist, really. Uh, and uh, for the most part, it's been created and then proliferated by marketing teams around the world, Hmm. Uh, quite often by security companies or antivirus companies, and then media also liked it. So, but from from my point of view, and especially since I've been in this field for well over a decade, uh, I actually like to call it uh, a criminal underground. And the reason is I'd I'd like to stay away from the infrastructure criminals are using, but rather uh, focus on the type of activities, right, which uh, they conduct uh, over there. And over there is essentially could be a, a chat room. On, on Telegram Messenger, it could also be a discussion board, right? But which uh, uh, one that requires a secret password and username, sometimes you have to get uh, vetted by current members to get accepted to uh, a chat room or uh, a forum. Very often, you actually have to pay quite hefty entrance fee. So in many cases, uh, uh, the, the entrance fee would be anywhere between $50 upwards of a uh, thousand, maybe $2,000. And one unique place we found uh, about a year ago required every new member to deposit well over 100,000 US dollars. Can you imagine that? Wow. Uh, so the number is staggering. So uh, it's understandable. Uh, nowadays, uh, criminal underground or, like you mentioned, dark web is being profiled pretty much on daily basis. And uh, almost anyone in the world, at least some at some point, have heard of dark web. And some people you know, are really interested in researching it. Uh, some people looking for it deliberately to to become a cyber criminal, maybe to learn new tradecraft, right? And to expand their knowledge and maybe to find partners. And uh, criminals also know that a lot of security researchers uh, like myself and uh, police and law enforcement agencies and security agencies are also uh, 
uh, snooping around and and looking for cases and investigating people uh, for obvious reasons. If you, if let's say, if you created, if someone created a community with highly sensitive data being uh, sold, you don't want that information being available to uh, to anyone except for uh, willing and capable buyers. And uh, obviously, uh, if you require uh, a very significant upfront deposit to become a member, it helps you to filter people who you don't really want to see there. Yeah. And uh, so, um, again, just starting with some some of the basics, I think a lot of people have a direct association between the dark web and Tor. Can you kind of uh, take us through what the relationship is there? Yep. Uh, so the tour is fairly new technology. It's, uh, I, I think, it became quite popular uh, uh, in the past. I would say maybe five years, and it, it it actually provides an extra layer of security to anyone using it. And what's most important, right? You don't really have to do much on your side to get the security, right? I mean, like if you're a user and you want to be almost entirely obfuscated, meaning that you don't want to leave any digital footprints on the internet. You don't want to uh, anyone to collect your IP addresses or user agent information. All you have to do is just download Tor browser, and uh, it will essentially relay uh, your uh, browsing activities through several random uh, internet nods uh, and criminals also figured out that if they set up a, a website on Tor network, they will be able to protect themselves quite efficiently, uh, obviously from law enforcement, but also they'll be able to protect themselves f- uh, from competitors in case they their, their competitors decide to do, for example, DDoS attacks on, on, on them. So Tor essentially allows them, allows anyone to have almost unlimited uh, invisibility on the internet. So uh, it's quite powerful. It's very simple technology, but it's very powerful. I'm not sure if a lot of uh, our listeners know, but uh, Tor has been created actually by U.S. government a while ago. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually developed by Navy for research purposes. And then it was shared with uh, with the public. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, nowadays, criminals also decided that it's a very useful tool for, for them as well. So that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why we associate Tor with uh, criminal activities. However, a lot of legitimate users are also using Tor. So it's kind of like like BitTorrent, where you know it has it has legitimate uses. It's an interesting bit of technology, but uh, because of the types of people who have adopted it to do illegal things, that's sort of the reputation that it's uh, had thrust upon it. Precisely. Yeah. So, what kinds of things are going on in the uh, in the criminal underground or the dark web? What kinds of things are being bought and sold there? Well, pretty much anything. And if we actually go back to, I would say, first days of organized criminal activity, right, on the internet, and that would be roughly, I would say, maybe 20 years ago, uh, it all started with fairly straightforward businesses and uh, and activities, and it always revolved around compromised credit cards, compromised bank accounts, fraudulent purchases of of goods from 
various e-commerce websites. But then it actually it added, evolved. Uh, uh, we now see, uh, and it's been going on for quite a while now, uh, we see a lot of people selling drugs on dark web. We saw people selling uh, firearms. We, we, we've never seen actually anyone offering assassinations, for example, right? I mean, we've heard about it, right? We've heard rumors that you can hire someone, you, you can essentially hire a killer on the internet, right? right. Pay with bitcoins and, and get away with a murder. However, in all my years of research activities, I have never ever seen someone offering such a service. Aside from this, I mean, you can purchase or order any service any type of goods you might need during any type of fraudulent activity be it fake documents forged passports forged driver's license you can buy medical records you can buy medical information credit card information uh you can also for example obtain information on a, any particular person right so you can actually buy just to give you an example for three dollars a social security information as well as date of birth uh, and all of the residential addresses literally on anyone in this country so it only costs you three dollars to get full background information on anyone some vendors offer full credit reports and they can actually go even further for extra fifty dollars for example they will add uh, a, a credit report for a person uh, with a desired credit score so let's say a froster uh, is planning to apply for a line of credit, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have a credit report with 750 credit score or up or above that. So you can actually reach out to several vendors and they will match you with a credit profile uh, based on your criteria and cost you maybe $100, $150 altogether. So pretty much anything you can imagine, you you may find on dark web or criminal underground. Now, what is the uh, currency? How do you buy and sell things? How, how are people mm -hmm. exchanging money? Well, nowadays, uh, a, a Bitcoin has become uh, a de facto uh, the only currency acceptable uh, across any cyber criminal community. Uh, if we go back three years from now, for example, among Russian-speaking criminals, web money, which is uh, a, a Russian-based, uh, not even a cryptocurrency, but electronic payment system, right? Web, web money was the, the most popular system to make payments. Uh, Liberty Reserve was also incredibly popular until it was uh, shut down by uh, by the U.S. law enforcement about two years ago, if not if if I'm not wrong. So, but then criminals kind of really realized the potential of Bitcoin, which essentially allows anyone to have anonymity, right? Uh, it has some transparency because now uh, you can see every single transaction on every wallet, but it allows you to remain anonymous. So we can actually see how much 
money criminals are making once we figure out what's their wallet right we can anyone pretty much can go on on the internet like block for on a website such as blockchain and see how much money they actually keep on their wallet and uh, the uh, and numbers are staggering we've been researching one of the uh, criminal uh, groups uh, responsible for uh, almost every major data breach, uh, credit card data breach. Uh, we've actually looked how much money they make, and uh, the numbers uh, are just mind-boggling. To be honest with you, any any month they they would make anywhere between twenty to fifty million dollars. And is there any any sort of um, geographic concentration of the people who are taking advantage of this? Are the bad people clustered in any particular areas? Uh, yeah. So uh, historically, Eastern European criminals were at the forefront of cybercrime. Uh, they were the first inventors. They were the first people to realize the entire the, the whole potential for uh, a cybercrime. But nowadays, uh, almost any country uh, or any language criminals are speaking is used on the on dark web meaning that they do cluster around their geographical region so nigerians right nigerians are infamous for uh wire fraud for uh phishing campaigns it's estimated that nigerian groups are responsible for more than two billion dollar in losses for uh wire fraud and executive fraud and just to clarify, well, uh, an executive fraud is when someone pretends to be uh, a manager or CEO of the company and then reaches uh, reaches out to an accounting department and directs them to send a wire transfer quite often in millions of dollars to some outside account uh, on, a, on a fake invoice. And this type of attack is so popular among Nigerians, right, that we estimate that the majority of it is, is actually accomplished by them. Eastern Europeans are still the, the most active group around credit card theft and, uh, and theft from compromised bank accounts, as well as attacks on ATM machines and uh, SWIFT attacks. One, one of the most recent and, and high-profile SWIFT attacks was conducted uh, last year when $86 million was stolen from Bangladeshi Bank. Uh, and although there are some rumors or at least prevailing theory that uh, behind that particular attack was North Korean state actors, we know that Russians almost immediately took the same approach and then they, they began attacking dozens of banks around the world and uh, including in Russia, which is uh, uh, not very often. I mean, it's, 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 it's a taboo for Russian-speaking actors to attack targets on Russian soil, uh, and not because of some hmm. um, loyalty or whatnot, but, but solely because they are afraid for persecution, because they know that once you steal money from local entities, uh, law enforcement will actually do their job, and they do it quite well in Russia, believe it or not. And a lot of times people get arrested for these crimes. Yeah, let's dig into that some. Uh, what is the presence of law enforcement, and, and do you have any sense for uh, how often people get away with it, and how often are people getting arrested? Uh, so from from my experience, uh, for the most part, people tend to actually 
get away with the crime, I mean, with the crime they committed. And that's unfortunate. And one of the reasons is because law enforcement only can do so much. And uh, fortunately, law enforcement, I, I mean, not unfortunately, but I guess, fortunately, law enforcement has to abide by law, right? Mm. They they have legal framework. They have uh, uh, rules and regulations when they conduct investigations. And criminals do not. Criminals have all the freedom they want. They can do whatever they want to do. And they have to stay lucky until, <laughs> until they're not. But unfortunately, from the past experience, for the most of them, they will never get caught. Now, my understanding is there's a lot of volatility in these web forums, that they go up and down. And in fact, right now, aren't we in a period where many of the forums have been taken down? That's true. And uh, we've seen Hansa Market and Alphabet were being taken down in the past couple of months. That was a huge win for international law, uh, law enforcement community. Uh, the biggest cryptocurrency exchanger, BTCE, uh, was also taken down, uh, I think, two months ago. And uh, believe it or not, criminals actually lost hundreds of millions of dollars uh, because they kept almost all of their reserves and operational funds on BTC uh, wallets. Uh, however, we also seen we've seen several other smaller marketplaces and forums being, if not taken down, but at least disappearing without a trace. No one ever stepped forward acknowledging that it was actually a takedown operation by law enforcement or whether it was uh, a scam when marketplaces operators took members' money and just left. So uh, it's a mystery, actually, why forums disappear. We tend to think that when there was no money stolen, uh, we think that it was actually a quiet operation by law enforcement. Uh, in some cases, we saw criminals deciding to actually shut down to shut down a forum because or marketplace because they were afraid for their security. Hmm. When they knew that, okay, well, if Alphabet was taken down, if Hansa Market was took uh, took down by uh, Europol. Well, maybe I'm next. Does it actually make sense for me to maintain this forum anymore? I mean, do I actually make so much money that it makes sense for me to take all this risk? And some people say, well, no, I would rather sleep well at home, you know, mm -hmm. than uh, uh, in some jail cell. Now, from your point of view, from a company like Recorded Future, when you're gathering threat intelligence, what are the specific challenges that you face when trying to gather information in this environment? The first and foremost challenge is to be able to maintain persistent presence on these forums, right? Because uh, once you pass valuable intelligence to a potential victim, right, you immediately put yourself and your alias in jeopardy because there are only so many people involved in, let's say, or who knew about certain type of uh, operation, criminal, I mean, I mean, criminal operation mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or a sale of certain type of data, for example, being, you know, offered uh, on, on criminal forum. And once you take this information from a bad guy pretending to be uh, a buyer, for example, right, and pass this knowledge, pass this intelligence to a victim, and they start and they begin to remediate the problem. And uh, you immediately put, your, put yourself in the position where a criminal might 
you know, spot that it was you who actually leaked the information and then you burn, then your credentials are burned, then your access is burned, and now you have to begin from scratch. It always comes to a point where you have to be very careful, you have to calculate, you know, what's the risk here, right? What exactly, uh, how far I'm able to go uh, before I get uh, burned. Yeah, and I guess because, you know, you all are are not law enforcement, is there any risk of just, uh, you know, sort of being in a bad neighborhood and being, uh, I don't know, guilty by association? Well, from the legal perspective, we we do our best and and uh, not not to cross uh, the line mm-hmm. where we might get accused of committing a crime or being you know guilty by association. Right. However, we've seen cases when people got hurt or certain methods were used against them when criminals figured out who they are. Uh, one of them was. Uh, uh, Brian Krebs, uh, when criminals learned uh, about him, uh, they decided to uh, send him a kilo of cocaine. They actually did this uh, fundraising for a couple of weeks. They got enough money to buy cocaine. Then they sent the cocaine to his home, called the police, waited until, and then SWAT team appeared. And then there was a lot of unnecessary, unpleasant things happening in in his life because of this thing. And yes, after all, the person who was the main organizer of this operation was actually caught uh, in Europe, and then he was extradited to the U.S., and recently he was indicted and, and went, actually not indicted, but he went to jail for, I think, six years. Mm. Nonetheless, before that, a researcher had to go through all of these, you know, troubles when you open the door and suddenly you have uh, a SWAT team at your doorsteps. And right. then now you have to do all of this explaining. I mean, that why why there is a kilogram of uh, heroin uh, right. in your home. Right. Yes. Br- Brian had a bad day. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you wish people knew about the criminal underground and the dark web that they don't know? Are there, are there any misperceptions that people have that uh, that you'd like to shine a light on? Well, probably uh, one. From my experience, a lot of times people think that dark web is some sort of Wikipedia of criminal world, right? It's mm-hmm. a single place where once you get accepted, once you find the secret door, you can find literally anything and everything simply by typing uh, a query and saying, hey, I'd like to see who sells Equifax stolen data. And right away, you get to a seller, you know exactly what type of data they have, how much it costs, uh, who sold it, who bought it, and so on and whatnot. However, the, the shadowy uh, criminal world is so much more than that. It's comprised of infinite resources, infinite platforms, uh, hundreds of people. It's so vast. Sometimes, uh, no matter how much time you spend there, you still open and find new things every day. And even uh, with all of the technology we have, it's still incredibly uh, time-consuming to really find tangible and valuable intelligence. And just to give you a number, we usually, uh, on, on a usual day, we, we collect roughly 200,000 uh, new stories, new posts created on Criminal Underground. So the, the, the number is just staggering, and it keeps growing. Uh, despite that, we've seen 
you know, uh, marketplaces and forums uh, going down and disappearing, right? Even more uh, will appear shortly after that. So uh, it seems that uh, the problem is not going away. It's staying with us. So it's up to us as regular citizens, you know, to defend our own data. We, we need to understand that criminals are not people somewhere, you know, on the other side of the world. Uh, it could be your neighbor. It could be someone who you actually know, but you have no idea that uh, instead of regular job, person maybe is doing an identity theft for a living. So uh, we have to be smart every day how we use our passwords, how we use our data, how we need to understand that we should not be sharing personal information easily. We should be asking and questioning a company when our personal information is is requested why they need it is there really a good reason for them to have this data because when i hear someone telling me that don't worry your data is safe and secure mm-hmm. all i can say is well look around i mean uh look at the equifax look at the yahoo uh, they also thought that my data was secure until it was not our thanks to andrei borisovich for once again joining us To learn more about the dark web, you can read Recorded Future's blog post, Going Deep and Dark, Mining Threat Intelligence from the Hidden Web, or simply search Dark Web in the blog section of the Recorded Future website. Before you go, don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. You can also find more intelligence analysis at recordedfuture.com slash blog. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. (music) 